Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. I'm joined by James Diamond. Hello. Owen Hughes. Hello. And now, as a full-time permanent member, Jerry McCauley's official replacement, Carol Petz. Hello. Thank you. Well, until until next week, anyway, when I'm not here. Yeah, until we've been (laughs) off the woman for the football, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Harsh, but fair. Deary me. Anyway... What does it mean to you to be a full-time member of um, one of the most popular film podcasts in James's house? <laughs> Third most popular in my house. Yes. I, I think it's probably the greatest moment of my life, certainly since since Friday when I got into the reader's panel of The Guardian. <laughs> yeah, I thought that. Well, the, Gar- the Guardian thinks that one of us is a snob, but one of us is a respected uh, commenter on film. All I, all I'm saying is I wrote in professing my love for Ghostbusters and I got an uh, I got a really nice write up. That's all I'm saying, James. Uh, well, what? I'm sure they've had me in that film bit once before. <laughs> 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 I, I, I've been brackets, in the um... James Diamond brackets snob. Yeah, <laughs> commenting yeah, on the bottom of articles doesn't count, James. No, no. Do you know what? I've I've been mentioned in the uh, Guardian cricket over by over a few times, uh, which is which is always a pleasure. Um, I got what I once got tweeted by Dean Gaffney. We're not going down this again, are we? Because I've got Carl Weathers in my back pocket. You can't beat Carl Weathers. That's like the trump card. Yeah. You know, Sky Sports used to have the uh, gossip column, which was just basically anybody could send in anything about transfers, and they would publish it basically. I'd made up a rumour before that um, Sevilla were going to replace Julio Baptista with uh, Andrew Johnson. Andy Johnson. And that got in there. I was really chuffed with that. <laughs> That's my claim to fame. Sky Sports That's published a rumour I made up. achievement in life. <laughs> anyway, on with film podcasts and um, it's quiz time. It's poised delicately like a World Cup quarterfinal featuring England at 2-all. Um, and one of us is going to lose in glorious failure. Which one is England and which one is any other country based? <laughs> We're about to find out as me and James go head to head for the deciding match. Wow. Yes. Okay. Right. Well, I'll kick off then. Get it? Kick off of continuing this football pudding? <laughs> okay. I'll start. Uh, in 1986, they were in the Manhattan Project. No, okay, I'll move on. (laughs) Perhaps a bit easier. In 2001, um, they were in Shrek. Steve. Yeah? Is it 
John Lithgow. It's John Lithgow. Oh, shit. Wow. Well, wow. Steve, I can't. Wow, I can't really argue with that. that, was, that I think was I have maybe got all of the answers that I've got right in this round of quizzing within two films. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've been beaten so... by the perfect hat trick. What can I say? <laughs> there we are. Um, yeah. Film I'm going to recommend to you to watch. Hopefully, you've not seen it all before. I'll have to think of another one. Is a film called The Man from Earth, and it should be available on either UK or US Netflix. Uh, uh, what, yeah, I remember what, you talking about this one. I've never, th- I've never seen it, Steve. What is it? Give, give me a quick it taster. Is, um, a science fiction film about a man who claims to be thousands of years old, and he's. I think um, I've heard about that, and I think I've wanted. To... Well done, Steve. Can I just say, because um, because <laughs> if I'd won, I was making you choose either Diana or Run for Your Wife, um, and <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> Sure, I know. I'm, I'm impressed. I'm really impressed by Steve's olive branch here. Steve has Steve has pulled us back from our own kind of cinematic Cuban missile crisis, and he's thawed the Cold War. It's like Thatcher and Gorbachev all over again. It's... <laughs> I have knocked down the metaphorical Berlin Wall, just like just like David Hasselhoff. You are, yes, you're setting us all free, um, Steve. I'm, I'm really impressed by that. All I will say is um, when the quiz kicks off again in two weeks with Carol uh, as a, a full-time competitor, I'm not sure she's going to go as easy on us when she inevitably wins. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just going to remind you here. And I did hear you dissing Nicolas Cage last week, by the way. Who who was? Not you me. You were all dissing Nicolas no, Cage. No, I never diss Nicolas. <laughs> I said he's the hardest working man in show business. It was very tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> but yeah, I've seen a lot of Nicolas Cage films. I can guarantee you're going to get at least one of them. Possibly Drive we've, Angry. We, we've done Knowing, so we can't do that again. <laughs> knowing is amazing. Knowing is the only film I've ever seen that actually gives it away on the poster. The ending. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, but yes, anyway... Um, the Man from Earth is the film you will all have to watch. I've seen it. I enjoyed it a lot, and it's probably one of the films. If you saw it, you Steve won't watch that, but I did, and I liked it. So um, there you go. <laughs> uh, on to the news now, and the much troubled uh, Marvel Studios film Ant Man has now got its director. Yeah, um, Peyton Reed uh, is the new director. Of who, who you might who you might know from such hit films as Bring It On yeah. and The Breakup. Yes, man, and Down With Love. Wow. Um, also, a television version of Back to the Future. Which oh, I've right, never okay. heard of until literally just now when I'd opened up his IMDb page. Uh, yeah. Okay. Wow. Sure uh, no, 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 oh, he made role models as well. Okay. Right. Uh, yeah, I, it, yeah, oh, it appears that... I quite mm. I do like role models, and it appears that um, he has a good working relationship with Paul Rudd, which I suppose, if you are literally about to jump into production, <laughs> kind of makes sense to get a director who you know is at least going to be able to work with your big star. Um, so yeah, it, it doesn't feel like a first choice, though, does it? Because apparently Ruben Fleischer turned it down after they went to Adam McKay. And so Ruben Fleischer, and who was the other guy that was up for... I can't remember the other guy. Um, there was a couple of interesting directors there. It seems to have ended up in the quite literal safe pair of hands type director there. 
Um, it's, it just seems a bit... A, a project that I was actually really excited about is just rapidly looking like it could be Marvel's first big misstep. Um, which is which is is worrying in a way, especially when Michael Douglas has come out and actually, and I feel bad now because I was the one that pigeonholed Michael Douglas as being the actor who was quite happy to take a paycheck and probably wasn't bothered about which director was in. He's the one who's come out this week and uh, said that he's really disappointed. He's a big fan of Edgar Wright. It's a very disappointing situation. Um, I don't think anyone's quite recovered. He said. Um, uh, and then at the end, he's talented enough, and you'll be hearing a whole lot from him, and I'm sure with a little vengeance, which, again, makes it seem like it wasn't entirely Edgar Wright. Oh, I didn't Wright. hear that bit. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's just... Uh, the other thing that worries me is that um, Adam McKay has been kind of tapped up to at least... he's not gonna He hasn't got time to direct it, but he's going to ha- take a look at the script, which, again, I, I really like Anchorman. I didn't mind Anchorman 2. But having him kind of go over Joe Cornish and Edgar Wright's script just feels a little bit like desecration. <laughs> and maybe that's just, maybe that is. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norton. I'm joined by James Diamond. Hello. Owen Hughes. Hello. And now, as a full-time permanent member, Jerry McCauley's official replacement, Carol Petz. Hello. Thank you. Well, until until next week, anyway, when I'm not here. Yeah, until we've been (laughs) off the woman for the football, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Harsh but fair. Deary me. Anyway... What does it mean to you to be a full-time member of um, one of the most popular film podcasts in James's house? <laughs> Third most popular in my house. Yes. I, I think it's probably the greatest moment of my life, certainly since since Friday when I got into the reader's panel of The Guardian. <laughs> yeah, I thought that. So the, Gar- the Guardian thinks that one of us is a snob, but one of us is a respected uh, commenter on film. All I, all I'm saying is I wrote in professing my love for Ghostbusters and I got an uh, I got a really nice write up. That's all I'm saying, James. <sighs> well, what? I'm sure they've had me in that film bit once before. <laughs> 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 I, I, I've been brackets, in the um... James Diamond brackets snob. Yeah, <laughs> commenting yeah, on the bottom of articles doesn't count, James. No, no, do you know what? I've I've been mentioned in the uh, Guardian cricket over by over a few times, uh, which is which is always a pleasure. Um, I got what I once got tweeted by Dean Gaffney. <laughs> We're not going down this again, are we? Because I've got Carl Weathers in my back pocket. <laughs> you can't oh. beat Carl Weathers. That's like the Trump card. Yeah, you know Sky Sports used to have the uh, gossip column, which was just basically anybody could send in anything about transfers, and they would publish it basically. I'd made up a rumour before that um, Sevilla were going to replace Julio Baptista with uh, Andrew Johnson. Andy Johnson. And that got in there. I was really chuffed with that. <laughs> That's my claim to fame. Sky Sports That's published a rumour I made up. achievement in life. <laughs> anyway, on with film podcasts. And um, it's quiz time. It's poised delicately like a World Cup 
quarter final featuring England at two all, um, and one of us is going to lose in glorious failure. Which one is England and which one is any other country based? <laughs> We're about to find out as me and James go head to head for the deciding match. Wow. Yes. Okay. Right. Well, I'll kick off then. Get it? Kick off or continue in this football? <laughs> okay, I'll start. Uh, in 1986, they were in the Manhattan Project. No. Okay, oh, no. I'll move on. <laughs> Perhaps a bit easier. In 2001, um, they were in Shrek. Steve. Yeah? Is it John Lithgow? It's John Lithgow. Oh, shit. Wow. Well, wow. Steve, I can't. Wow, I can't really argue with that. that, was, that I think was I have maybe got all of the answers that I've got right in this round of quizzing within two films. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've been beaten so, by the perfect hat trick. What can I say? <laughs> there we are. Um, yeah. Film I'm going to recommend to you to watch. Hopefully, you've not seen it all before. I have to think of another one. Is a film called The Man from Earth, and it should be available on either UK or US Netflix. Uh, oh. What, yeah, I remember what, you talking about this one. I've never, th- I've never seen it, Steve. What is it? Give, give me a quick it taster. It is um, a science fiction film about a man who claims to be thousands of years old, and he's. I think um, I've heard about that, and I think I've wanted. To... Well done, St- Steve. Can I just say, because um, <laughs> because if I'd won, I was making you choose either Diana or Run for Your Wife, um, and what a dick. That's the spirit. That's the spirit of the quiz, surely. I know. And I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm really impressed by Steve's olive branch here. Steve has, Steve has pulled us back from our own kind of cinematic Cuban missile crisis, and he's thawed the Cold War. It's like Thatcher and Gorbachev all over again. It's... I have knocked down the metaphorical... Berlin Wall. Just like, just like David Hasselhoff. You are, yes. You're setting us all free. Um, Steve, I'm, I'm really impressed by that. All I will say is, um, when the quiz kicks off again in two weeks with Carol, uh, as a, a full-time competitor, I'm not sure she's going to go as easy on us when she inevitably wins. No, I'm, I'm just going to remind you here. And I did hear you dissing Nicolas Cage last week, by the way. Who, who was? Not you were me. all dissing Nicholas no, Cage. No, I never diss Nick. I said he's the hardest working man in show business. It was very tongue in cheek. <laughs> but yeah, Cage. I've seen a lot of Nicholas Cage films. I can guarantee you're going to get at least one of them. Possibly Dry we've, Angry. We, we've done Knowing, so we can't do that again. <laughs> knowing is amazing. Knowing is the only film that I've ever seen that actually gives it away on the poster. The ending. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, but yes, anyway... Um, the Man from Earth is the film you will all have to watch. I've seen it. I enjoyed it a lot, and it's probably one of the films. That if you saw it, like, Steve won't watch that, but I did, and I liked it. So um, there you go. <laughs> uh, on to the news now, and the much troubled uh, Marvel Studios film Ant Man has now got its director. Yeah, um, Peyton Reed uh, is the new director. Of who, who you might who you might know from such hit films as Bring It On, yeah, and The Breakup, Yes Man, and Down with Love. Wow. Um, also, a television version of Back to the Future, which oh, I've right, never okay. heard of until literally just now when I'd opened up his IMDb page. Uh, yeah. Okay. 
Wow. Which I've never oh, no, heard I, no, I've never. Oh, he made role models as well. Okay. Right. Uh, yeah, I, it, yeah, oh, it appears that. I quite mm. I do like role models, and it appears that um, he has a good working relationship with Paul Rudd, which I suppose, if you are literally about to jump into <laughs> production, kind of makes sense to get a director who you know is at least going to be able to work with your big star. Um, so yeah, it, it doesn't feel like a first choice though, does it? Because apparently Ruben Fleischer turned it down after they went to Adam McKay. And so Ruben Fleischer, and who was the other guy that was up for... I can't remember the other guy. Um, there was a couple of interesting directors there. It seems to have ended up in the quite literal safe pair of hands type director there. Um, it's, it just seems a bit... A, a project that I was actually really excited about. It's just rapidly looking like it could be Marvel's first big misstep. Um, which is Which is... It's worrying in a way, especially when Michael Douglas has come out and actually, and I feel bad now because I was the one that pigeonholed Michael Douglas as being the actor who was quite happy to take the paycheck and probably wasn't bothered about which director was in. He's the one who's come out this week and uh, said that he's really disappointed. He's a big fan of Edgar Wright. It's a very disappointing situation. Um, I don't think anyone's quite recovered, he said. Um uh, and then at the end, he's talented enough, and you'll be hearing a whole lot from him, and I'm sure with a little vengeance, which, again, makes it seem like it wasn't entirely Edgar Wright. Oh, didn't hear that bit. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's just... Uh, the other thing that worries me is that um, Adam McKay has been kind of tapped up to at least... he's not gonna He hasn't got time to direct it, but he's going to ha- take a look at the script, which, again, I, I really like Anchorman. I didn't mind Anchorman 2. But having him kind of go over Joe Cornish and Edgar Wright's script just feels a little bit like desecration. <laughs> and maybe that's just, maybe that is overstating it. But a, a project I was really, really excited about having known absolutely nothing about the the kind of comic book origins has now become a, I'll see it because it's Marvel, but I'm not overly excited about it until I hear a bit more, see some footage or something. Did they the actually... Sorry. I was just going to say, did did Edgar Wright actually shoot any footage at all? He did some test did, footage. I've test, got it. Nothing, did that. From nothing yeah. official yeah. production, though. Yeah. Okay. So it's not like in 30 years' time we'll get the Edgar Wright cut. Oh, you know, no. a bit like um, Donner, yeah, Superman, Superman 2. 2, the die yeah. cut, yeah. No, we're not going to get that, sadly. <laughs> no, no. Um, all I'm going to say is, I mean, look on the bright side, is that the last time I um, knew of production going through this much turmoil just before it started shooting, it was called X-Men The Last Stand, and we've just had a film that basically wipes that out. So maybe, in about ten years' time, we'll get Ant-Man 4, <laughs> and it will just mess everything up, and it'll be directed by Edgar Wright at long last, and it'll just start from the beginning again. So, you know, may- maybe we, wow. we can live in hope. That, that, is, that is one big straw to clutch on to <laughs> We have to. We have to hope. We have to, though. We have to be optimistic. <laughs> okay, and the only other bit of news this week, um, in probably a part of the podcast, it's fast becoming obituary corner. Yeah, uh, Rick Mail has passed away this week at the start of um, such programs as The Young Ones and um, Bottom and many others. Um, one of Britain's probably most popular comedians um, passed away, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm genuinely gutted 
by this actually. Uh, Rip Mouth, star of my childhood, basically is what it feels. Yeah, um, from his uh, Jack and Ori version of George's Marvelous Medicine, which was just the most anarchic, brilliant children's television I still think I can ever remember seeing. Um, I grew up on uh, reruns of the young ones. His Captain Flashheart. Um, Lord Flashout, sorry, uh, in Black Adder character. And actually, Bottom. Uh, Bottom was a huge influence for me as a, a young teenager. I remember um, for my birthday, I requested the the Bottom scripts, and I got them in a hardback book. And me and my mate Steve, <laughs> a different Steve, obviously, um, used to read that. To, uh, we used to play Richie and Eddie alternately on the school bus on long journeys. Um, and that, that that's where I actually wanted to act from i acted for a little i I just love rick mel and i'm genuinely gutted because he is such a talent and 56 is no bloody age whatsoever um so yeah he will be really really sadly missed i think yeah the utter 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 selfish bastard (laughs) he's died (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah it's just wow in a way, I, I, you know, we all thought he probably died 16 years ago when he had that quad bike and came back mm. and did some work. And, you know, it depends which way you look at it, half full or half empty. Did he get an extra 16 years or has he still been cut horribly short at 56? But um, Yeah, I, I read something. The... Sorry, Owen. I was just going to say I read something about him today, which was quite sort of inspiring in a way. You know, he said after he had that accident and he was in a coma for, was it four days, five days, mm. something like that? yeah. Um, and then he came out of it and, um, so it's, you know, from that point on, that's when he started to really be happy in life. So people, mm. when they get to sort of 50, they're kind of, you know, well, well they go through a, a sort of middle age crisis yeah. at that point nowadays. And he's, he's just continued, he said that he, he didn't have that because he was just happy to be alive after that. Wow. And he treated every day as like a little gift. And so I found that quite sort of inspiring. Yeah, um, and no, it's that, a, it's that's a... great. And, and he didn't really have much of a film. I know we're a film podcast, but um, I, I remember a summer when I was younger watching Drop Dead Fred uh, every single day for the entire summer holidays. Uh, and he also appeared in another favourite film I when I was young, uh, Whoops Apocalypse, uh, which you know starred the cream of British comedy and Loretta Swit. A weird film, actually. I need to try and track that down. But yeah, Ed, um, and the he was also presents... cameo in in. Uh... American Werewolf in London. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> in the slaughter um, of lambing. But yeah, you know, like like we said, we're... oh god, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, he's in the I know, isn't he? Yeah, mm. yeah. Wow. Oh, but, yeah. We'll miss you, Rick. And that's it. That's our last obituary for ages because I'm sick of them now. Just stop dying, people. <laughs> Just good people, stop dying. It's you know, now you said that somebody like huge will die. Yeah, I'm just going to ignore it. We've got to talk about it. at principle. <laughs> Okay, um, so yes, that's all for part one, and um, in the next part we've got what we've been watching. Okay, so time for what we've been watching now, where we look at what we've watched last week or so. Um, Owen, why don't you start us off? Uh, Yep, sure, okay. Um, I watched um, another Korean film, which I'm going to talk about, but I got sent a couple on DVD from Paul on Twitter, at Pafster, P-A-F-S-T-E-R, who I've talked about a lot on here. He's sent me some crappy DVDs in the past, but occasionally he comes through and sends me some really good ones. Um, And so one of the Korean films that uh, he sent me, which I watched, which I was waiting to watch for a long time, I've I've been trying to get hold of it, was never released in the UK. If you try and find a copy of it on DVD, it's just stupidly expensive. So 
Yeah. Props to, to Paul for sending me this. It's called My Sassy Girl. And yes, James, it is a rom-com that I was quite interested in watching. Um, I know I've kind of bitched and moaned about them in the past, but um, it's just got rave reviews from absolutely everybody who's seen it. People who, um, not that I'm going to pigeonhole anybody, but people who you wouldn't expect to like rom-coms, people who usually like sort of sci-fi films or they like action films, have all said they loved My Sassy Girl. Um, so yeah, it had a, a sort of hefty re- reputation before I watched it. Um, basically, it's about a guy called Kyun Woo, who is played by an actor called Cha Tae-hyun, um, who's basically a hapless student uh, who accidentally kind of falls for this girl, uh, who's played by Gianna June, actually, who also who James would probably recognise as the tall, pretty one from The Thieves, um, the ensemble right, yes. high yeah. school. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so she's a bit feisty, uh, or I suppose sassy would probably be more descript. Um, but Kim Woo meets a girl for the first time in a subway station where she's blind drunk. Um, kind of rescues her from the edge of a, a, a platform as a train's coming in. Um, but you know, she's got little awareness about what's going on. And then over the course of this journey home on the train, uh, she sort of shows a bit of her personality. She show, uh, tells off this youth. Uh, for not giving up his seat to an old passenger, um, who then she sort of promptly throws up all over and then passes out. And then it's kind of up to this Kyun Woo guy, uh, who rather reluctantly bears the brunt of what she's doing. He, he looks after her a bit, he carries her to a hotel, and then he ends up getting accused of being a bit of a deviant. Um, it sounds kind of dark and heavy, but it isn't. I mean, it is, it's very playful. All of it is very playful and kind of like the, the, the rest of the movie. It's actually, it's quite a funny and sweet scene um no it doesn't sound like it but it is and it's really just the whole atmosphere for the rest of the film is is kind of like that um it is a little bit uh weirdly a little bit violent as well because she keeps beating him up but it's kind of like played like a joke um and it is a joke i mean the way that she does it is very playfully and he just kind of goes along with it and he sees himself as trying to support her but He's actually kind of falling for her a little bit and then they kind of become friends and then they kind of become boyfriend and girlfriend and there's lots of kinds of different relationships. And it's quite... it's. I, I liked it. Um, I'm not quite sure I loved it as much as other people seem to have described it. Uh, you know, people who said it's like their favourite film and stuff. It's not, it's not one of my favourite films. It's not one of my favourite Korean films. But what it is, is a very... Uh, just a very sweet, a very um, chilled out kind of laid back comedy that is full of lots of funny scenes in it. Um, the romance in it is it's handled quite sensitively. And you get a bit of backstory to all the characters, so there's there's a bit of depth to them. They're not just these um, props in, in an otherwise generic story. It, there's actually something to it. Um, so yeah, I was I was pleasantly surprised by the fact I did enjoy it when I wasn't quite sure because it's um because it's a rom com and I know that hey that makes me sing but yeah I did kind of prejudge it despite its reputation, um but it isn't quite at the level I think it was supposed to be that's kind of how my my lasting impression is of of my sassy girl but it's worth a watch I mean if you if you want to get an in, introduction to sort of comedy or romance films in Korean in from Korean cinema then there's no better place to start, really. It's, it's By the funny. sound of it, I reckon I'd love that, just how yeah. you've described it. Also, I, I think um, your phrase, 
I didn't like it as much as some people. It has become your new catchphrase recently. I've, I've noticed, I noticed that. Lot, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You just, are you just becoming more cynical and disappointed in your older? I honestly, I don't know because the films that I've really like been expecting to like this year, things like um, Winter Soldier, for example. Yeah, I thought that was going to be just the best Marvel film since the Avengers, and I thought it's going to be absolutely brilliant. Perhaps one of the best blockbusters of the year. And then afterwards, I sort of saw a lot of people saying it was. And I kind of felt, well, I didn't really enjoy it all that much, actually. I mean, I liked it. It was good. It was one of, it was a good blockbuster, but I didn't like it as much as other people seem to have. And, you know, it happened, like I say, a few times to me this year, which is a shame. I've been let down by a few films that have still been quite decent. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a shame. And I had perhaps a bit of a miserable cynic anyway. Um, but I did, it's a rom-com that I did like. So yeah, perhaps not no, that much no, of a that's it. Sense. Yeah, it sounds like you quite liked it, but uh, yeah, yeah. Well, no, I, I think I'll, I'll give that a go if I can. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got got it on DVD, so we can sort something out. I'm sure. Okay. Maybe if I ever win a quiz again, it can be a film I send out to you. There we go. And Steve and Carol. Okay, um, James, what have you seen this week? Uh, today, well, not today. Actually, it was uh, yesterday. I finally got hold of one of the films from my summer preview when we picked our our three films that we were kind of preview previewing this summer uh my pick for my ho- most hopeful brilliant underrated film was frank the lenny abramson film based kind of loosely inspired by the life and times of bizarre papier-mâché headman Frank Sidebottom, uh, and I finally got to see it yesterday, and I'm just going to say it out right away, no uh, no beat around the bush, one of my favourite films of the year so far, I'm, I was right, I'm so glad I picked it, I absolutely loved it, um, just to give you a brief idea, it's not, strictly speaking, based on the life of Frank Sidebottom, it is inspired, uh, it's written by John Ronson, who who is a very well-known author um, at the moment. He wrote The Psychopath Test recently. He also wrote The Men Who Stare at Goats, which was turned into a film starring George Clooney. Um, And this is based on his kind of real-life experiences of being invited to join Frank Sidebottom's band in the 80s. Um, He was working at a student union, and uh, Frank Sidebottom and his band were due to play there one day, and the keyboardist was ill and they said we're going to have to pull out and John Ron said I can play keyboards and apparently said can you play C, A and F and he went yep <laughs> and they went right okay turn up at the stage door just before we start and he said it was the greatest night of his life because he got to go on like with an actual band and then a year later they got in touch with him again and he ended up joining Frank Sidebottom's band full time. Now what comes across from this film is um Actually, the idea, and I was really disappointed because when someone said there's going to be a Frank Sidebottom film starring Michael Fassbender um, as Frank Sidebottom, I would, I just thought that's the most amazing and bizarre thing ever. And then this kind of things came out saying, oh, he's actually uh, Frank is going to be an American, uh, and it's not going to be the actual Frank Sidebottom. And I started to get a bit disappointed. But having seen this film, I totally see why they've done it this way because. One of the big themes of the film is the fact that someone like Frank Sidebottom is is a complete one-off. Um, a lot of the film is about this young man called John, who's played by Dom Hall Gleeson, who I am rapidly falling in love with. Um, he he he, I loved him in About Time. He's this kind of sharp, angular Hugh Grant figure, um, and his 
self-deprecating kind of persona works so well in this. He plays a young man who's a songwriter called John. And the film opens up on this lovely little sequence of um, John, played by Gleason, in this kind of provincial seaside town, wandering around trying to write songs. And it's just this brilliant, almost 10-minute short film in its on its own of him wandering around looking for inspiration for songs. And it's just a lovely, lovely um, piece of cinema on its own, uh, before you even meet Frank, which was really beautifully played by Gleason. But what happens is, yeah, he meets up uh, with Frank's band, who are, I'm not even going to try and pronounce it, that's part of the whole thing. It's a very, they're a very hipster band, and you can't pronounce their name. I've seen <laughs> too many bands like that in rubbish tents of festivals, and, and that kind of struck home. And a lot of it struck home in that sense of you've ever hung around people who play in these kind of art rock bands who aren't about the fans they're actually just about creating their own music and they don't really care if anyone likes it actually what i would say is um this film really reminds me of a cross between leningrad cowboys and the jazz and super hands making music <laughs> in peep show sections that's that's exactly what it is because what happens is the band get together so you've got um john played by donald gleason you've got um maggie gyllenhaal playing Clara, who is this Yoko Ono-esque um, female. Well, to be honest, she's just a crazy bitch in this film. And she does that brilliantly in the same way that she did in Away We Go recently as well. And the, these kind of roles seem to be becoming her own at the moment. And a couple of other people, uh, a manager uh, played by Scoot McNary, and Frank, who I, I cannot believe I'm saying this, but Michael Fassbender's performance inside of a papier-mâché head is utterly incredible. I, I have never noticed how much of a brilliant physical actor uh, that Fassbender is. For the vast majority of this film, he spend you you just don't see his face at all. He uh, reminds me a little bit of Hugo Weaving in V for Vendetta, actually, uh, in hmm. in a weird way. Uh, in that everything he does is about his posture. It's about his voice, but it's about his posture. It's about the way he reacts to people physically. And there are some wonderful scenes. Um, a scene kind of two-thirds of the way through when they're on stage and you've got this big papier-mâché head with a massive smile plastered on it. But just from his movements and actions, you can tell that there's a man inside having a really depressing nervous breakdown. Uh, I, it's really difficult to describe without you having seen it. Um, but... Yeah, it, it's an utterly incredible performance from Fassbender, and Fassbender and Gleason have a bit of a double act throughout this film. It's um, it's a meditation on creativity, on um, you know standing by your principles. It's funny, it's very poignant, and I, I I cannot recommend it highly enough. I really, really enjoyed it, and it's it's actually inspired me in a weird way, to go and find out more about the real Frank Sidebottom, because I found out nothing about the real Frank Sidebottom from this film, but that was fine. Because it actually, I've now downloaded on um, Deezer, uh, so free streaming, lovely, um, a couple of Frank Sidebottom albums, and been reading The True Story. Um, there's a lovely ebook for 99p that John Ronson's wrote called The Truth Behind Frank Sidebottom, which is which is about his real story, including one of my favourite things that I've read so far about the fact when Frank Sidebottom in the early 90s got a chance to like make it big and this just sums up Frank um, got a chance to make it big by supporting Bross at Wembley Arena um, 
and instead and oh, what he did he strode on stage and instead of like playing the best gig of their career just played 15 minutes of terrible bros covers and then walked <laughs> off stage uh looked at the man bros's manager was just like in steaming at the side of the stage apparently and walked over and immediately just walked up to him and said he was putting on a gig at Timpley Village Hall did he have any tips and then walked <laughs> off again it's like, that is a man who just didn't he kind of wanted to be famous but he was doing it on his own terms and there's a lovely description that John Ronson said about um, most people adapt to the world they're in but very few people try and adapt the world to them and Frank is one of those people both the character the fictional character of Frank in this film and Frank Sidebottom so in that way actually it's the perfect tribute to uh, uh, Mike Seavey the man who created Frank Sidebottom catch it if you can anywhere it's an utterly beguiling film I really really enjoyed it and it's everything I hoped it would be okay Um, well I am going to talk about a television programme that finished about four years ago now um, on the post, I started watching. I started watching it again recently. It's lost. Uh, ran for six years. Uh, somebody asked me to recommend them a TV pro, and they've seen all the usual kind of things, and they hadn't seen, you know, looking for new to watch. So I suggested to them Lost because I kind of wanted to annoy them a bit of how badly it ends. <laughs> um, but then, I, but then I watched most of the first season with them and kind of got back into it myself. I've heard a few people say that if you watch it in kind of quick succession, uh, like as a box set, rather than watch it spread over six years, the ending isn't so bad and it's not as big a kick in the balls to the, to the viewer. Um, but, you know, I'm getting towards the end of season two and because of how it ended, you just forget kind of how good it was at its best. I mean, it's never, it's not, it's not on the same level as something like The Sopranos or The Wire. It's not going to be one of the best TV programs ever. Some of the first two seasons are just phenomenal kind of storytelling and plot weaving where, you know, it's so kind of intricate and at that point you really don't think they're making it up as they go along. Everything makes sense, everything ties in perfectly. Um, the characters, on the most part, there's a couple of characters that really irritate me, but on the most part the characters are good, the characters are interesting. You see more about their life before they crash land on the island and flashbacks which is a really clever way of doing it. It's something I've not seen before kind of done in that way. I mean, I think obviously you see flashbacks in films and TV programs, but not done in in such a way that Lost done it with kind of every character and a different person centred around each week and kind of also introducing all the characters kind of intertwined before they actually met on the island. Um, so it's a really clever way of storytelling, really enthralling and engaging and then it just gets stupider and stupider from about the end, from the, the from the fourth season onwards. They just introduce too many silly things like time travel and magic, and you just think you've taken this too far. And I don't think they made it up as they went along, but you get that impression because how stupid it gets. I I, I really never seen liked Lost. the ending. Oh, no, sorry, James. It no, um, I I think I I'm I that's I went on honeymoon. The, the week it started and I was all set to tape it and my Sky Plus box didn't work and so it didn't tape it and I feel like I had a massive escape but <laughs> I, I kind of because people I, I, people told me even people who enjoyed it said it, it it destroyed them in the way that it 
at one point, about halfway through, they felt like they they hated watching it, but they had to keep going because they had to find out what happened. Is that essentially? Yeah. Essentially, yeah. yeah. The the first three seasons are brilliant. Yeah. The fourth season is okay. The last two seasons are just poor, but you've committed four years to exactly, it. Exactly. Yeah. It's not kind of like Dexter, where I watched four seasons of Dexter. And it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I really lost interest quickly because it, it went downhill. Exactly the same as you me. know. It's and like it just was, because of, yeah, yeah, because of kind of the plot of Lost. You really needed to see what happened to the end, especially when it had been so good for so long. Mm. And then there was maybe half a dozen episodes that were good out of the last two seasons, and you just felt really disappointed. Yeah. And and the ending was just. Ugh. I like the ending. I don't. I don't but, get why people hate it. I did not like the purgatory bit of the ending. Just didn't need well, to be there. Just, yeah. just leave try, it out. Try not to sort of give anything away. I know it's an old program now, but yeah. I thought that it ended in pretty much the only way it was ever going to end from the first few episodes. Well, maybe not the first few episodes. Maybe the first season, the end of the first season. There was only one way it was going to end, really. And I think. They did it in as good a way as could be expected, but also ignoring the fact that it was inevitable. It was quite a good ending. I but liked it. it. Just got, but it just got a bit too silly, didn't it? The last couple of seasons. Yeah. Oh, definitely. To too many, too many different things that made it just ridiculous. Yeah. And if they kind of kept it a bit more level, a bit more, you can't really say down to earth or normal <laughs> because it's not that kind of thing. No. It's a science fiction <laughs> program at the end of the day. They just threw in too many kind of wild ideas and plot devices and it just made you fit. Yeah. yeah. It, it got a bit Deus Ex for... Machina. Sorry? Yeah. Was, it, just, it just got a bit Deus Ex Machina, didn't it? Everything was just kind of... The way certain plot devices were were, were used to resolve problems was just a bit, well... It's a little yeah. bit Hand of God there, isn't it? Yeah. But, it, but I hmm. mean... Uh, there is talk of it coming back as well. I read um, an interview with one of the... It wasn't J.J. Abrams. It was one of the other ones. Either Carlton Cuse or Damon Lindelof. I can't remember which one. Who said that even though they won't be involved with it, they're pretty sure it will come back at some point. Um, which, if you kind of saw the, the little kind of... Basically, YouTube clip of a couple of characters which was set a little bit after the finale of the last season. It actually sounds quite interesting for me. And part of me wants it to happen, and I'm just kind of a glutton for punishment. That's, <laughs> that's become the that's become a bit of a trend, hasn't it? Because obviously, 24 got raised from the dead a few years afterwards because yeah. TV executives yeah. realised that again, just like the movie world, people love reboots and people love yeah. people love what they know. And I, I'm actually just saying, I'm quite enjoying the 24, uh, uh, the new series of 24. I'm quite enjoying it as a big 24 fan, but. Isn't uh, Heroes due to come back as well? Heroes is also say, due to come back, yeah, if for another Heroes one of can these. If re- redone, I'm sure that Lost can. Yeah. 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 I, 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 I'm certain it will happen. Um, yeah. Uh, and maybe I'll, maybe I'll get around to watching it at some point. But considering I've still not even watched um, Breaking Bad or The Wire, I think it is a bit, little bit low down my list of priorities. Hmm. I have okay. no intention of ever rewatching it. I can't believe Steve would sit through the whole thing again. I think watching it once was enough. I liked the ending. I liked the start, but imagining sitting through like the twenty odd episodes of season four and season five again. Just no. Why? Why would you? Steve? I'll, let, I'll let you know how it goes. 
Uh, um, yes, and Carol, what have you been watching? Um, well, uh, I went to see Grace of Monaco over the weekend, which I'm going to discuss later. Uh, but the one thing that everyone was asking me was, uh, is it worse than Diana? And I said, well, I don't know, because I haven't watched Diana. So this evening, I have watched Diana. Can't believe you chose to watch Diana. But I, 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 at least you didn't pay money in the cinema like I did. But you Well, know, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have done that for Grace of Monaco either, to be perfectly honest. Uh, if, oh, God. Okay, so I'm, I'm sure that everyone knows the story. It's about this uh, like little-known person. Uh, some people probably <laughs> won't even remember her, to be honest. Um, but it's, it is actually... It, it's an interesting premise, I guess, because it, con- it concentrates on the relationship she had, if, if you find this sort of stuff interesting. Um, it, con- it concentrates on the relationship she had with uh, a heart surgeon like during and after her divorce and before she got involved with uh, Dodie Al-Fayed and, and then obviously died. Um, and, oh my God, it's just, it's it's amazing. It's everything that Grace of <laughs> Monaco wants to be. It's just like, they're, oh God, I can't believe that anyone actually agreed to get involved in it. And there are quite a few kind of famous, obviously there's Naomi Watts, yeah, and I think the guy, I think the guy who plays a heart surgeon is actually from Lost as well. I remember reading. Oh um, right, I, I think it's Levine Andrew. I think it's Levine Andrews who played Saeed in Lost. He, in Diana, he's really soap opera acting. It's it's incredible. Everyone it's, is. It, well, yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's like Days of Our Lives at moments. It, it's incredible. It did. It did remind me of that. Really, I think it may have actually been days of. Was what was that one on Friends where Joey was in it? Yes, and it was like a yeah, daytime with the thing. Kind of smell the fart acting and stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was. It was so much like that. It's just, it's it's execrable. It's absolutely dreadful. And yeah, the, there are certain like uh, certain moments in the script where I I am actually sure that if I had gone see it in the cinema, I probably would have been removed for laughing inappropriately. <laughs> I I was creasing up in the comfort of my own living room, thankfully. But um, it's it is amazing, but not in a good way. Uh, if you, if you're a real glutton for punishment, I do like a, a good bad film, and it is one of those ones that is so bad. It's properly bad, isn't it? It's it yeah, really it's bad. not boring in the sense that it's just like, oh, this is a bit dark. No, it's terrible. It's yeah. horrible. There, there's brilliant in that sense dialogue. The the bit where they're talking about football, uh, and <laughs> and he says, oh, you don't cut through Liverpool that way. Or something. <laughs> it's just the worst bit of dialogue ever. And um, yeah, no, and. It's from the director of Downfall. This is what I do not get. Well, you know, this is the guy who directed Downfall, and this is what he chose as it's, one of his next projects. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Um, I, I think the bit that actually got me, I was howling with laughter at the end, was actually the bit, this is this is awful, I'm, I can't believe I'm about to say this, the bit at the end where she dies and everyone starts waking up and phoning each other at 20 past four in the morning. Yeah, it's like, no, that's like, utter bollocks. <laughs> that's not what happened. We were kind of found you, out about 11 kind of o'clock. Wake, yeah, how would you kind of wake up instinctively as it happened and phone people? Exactly. I, we yeah. didn't even have 24-hour news really back then. There was... Uh, Hardly anyone had like news channels. Um, it, it, and actually, if I remember correctly, we didn't actually know she was dead until the morning because there yes. was a good few hours where they were trying to claim that she was still alive. And people were obviously going, oh, yeah, whatever. But the official word didn't come out until 
kind of early morning, not middle of the night. I remember and yeah, going to bed entire... and she was like walking wounded. Exactly. Basically. But yeah, that scene where basically London wakes up with yeah. lights going off and phones <laughs> ringing. And I was just like, my God, that is just such a rewrite that I don't know if he's done that because it looks poetic. Oh, it's just horrible. Horrible. I lost horrible it at stuff. that point. Yeah. I lost it. it. It is amazing. And I, I'm afraid that if I ever do win a quiz and get to choose something for everyone else to watch, it is going to be that. <laughs> That's two of us now loading that one. <laughs> oh, my God. I was probably annoyed because every channel was running with coverage of her death and it probably meant Football Italia was cancelled. I can imagine, yeah, I can imagine something like that. I do remember, I, I still remember, because TFI Friday was on and there was a Diana Memorial special of TFI Friday, which oh was just, God. like, no one seemed to know what to do. It was a bizarre time anyway. But this film makes it seem even more just ludicrous. Um yeah, yeah, it doesn't really need eulogising in that way, no. I don't think. But, um, uh, yeah, a, a, a proper stinker. We're still waiting for the uh, Mohammed Al-Fayed cut, aren't we? <laughs> which <laughs> will be, be more like 24. Which would be fantastic. That would, that would be worth watching. <laughs> that was the other thing It'd as well, mental. actually, is it, it is really kind of unevenly paced as well. Because, like, literally Dodie Al-Fayed turns up in the last five minutes. Yeah. And I'm, I don't... I think they were probably together a bit longer than that. I don't think she would have just gone away like on a whim well, if, all the time. I don't if know. Al- if allegedly, actually, you don't need to say allegedly, do you? She can't sue. You can she can't sue. She's no. dead. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> but let's let's yeah, let's at least be yeah. a bit tasteful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll leave it yeah. there. You can't slander <laughs> the dead. If you want to know what I was going to say, please tweet me directly, <laughs> and I'll tell you. And he'll put it in writing. That's just <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, and then the royals could have me secretly killed off. Was it that Princess Di was a lizard? Was that what you were going to say? No. Secretly a lizard. Much much worse. (laughs) Yeah, let's stop it there. (laughs) Anyway, that's all for part uh, part two. And up next is our new release reviews of Princess Grace Monaco and 22 Jump Street. So, time for new release reviews now. First up, Carol is the only one of us lucky enough to have gone to see... Um, Princess Grace of Monaco, whatever it's called, is it called Grace? Or Grace, of Grace? Grace, Grace of Monaco. Grace of Monaco. Or Gom, there as I've go. written in my notes for short. <laughs> Gom. Gom. Um, yeah. So the, the second in. Well, actually, I say I was going to say an unholy trinity. Is there another film about a princess that died in a car accident that I don't know about? Because if um, there is, can anyone let me know, and that will make it an unholy trinity. Wow, and what can... a night out of the Prince Charles <laughs> cinema that would be. The Prince Charles <laughs> lining it up as we speak. Probably an asylum version of uh, Roman Holiday knocking about somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so Greater Monaco. Um, a highly fictionalised account of uh, Princess Grace's... Well, it's not actually her life, it's like a short period of her life in between her marrying uh, Prince Rainier of Monaco and uh, dying, although you don't actually see her dying. I think it's only set within about two weeks or something. Um, but, yeah, she's obviously a very famous kind of Hollywood actress and then married into royalty, and it's all about the change, change in her life, etc., etc. Um, th- this isn't bad on Diana's scale of bad. I was looking forward to it being that bad, because I'd read some truly horrifying reviews, some like proper eviscerations of, of, of the film. Uh, I think Peter Bradshaw did a, a marvellous one. Your nemesis, James. Yes. Peter Bradshaw did. You have to admit, he's good at giving reviews to bad films. Oh, did, yeah, definitely. That's what got me quite excited, yeah. Yeah. But it, that's the part, it's not 
it's not that interesting. It's not interesting enough for a one star. It's just dull, and it doesn't really know what tone it's going for. Um, the guy, I, I think there have been some problems with the cut with this. I remember hearing a while ago that Harvey Weinstein was having a bit of a problem with the director because they wanted a different cut, uh, and, and the director was holding out saying he didn't want to cut it differently. Um, and I think you can probably, I don't know who won, but I think it was probably Weinstein going by the last film I saw of his, which was the Grand Master, where he did the same thing, and as a result, it was all over the place and a total mess. Uh, this is pretty much the same. It's yeah, it's just it's just boring. It doesn't really know what it wants to do. Tonally, it's all over the place. Um, the acting's not brilliant, but it's it's not awful. Even Tim Roth isn't that good, and I like Tim Roth. I'm a bit, I'm a bit of a fan of Tim Roth. I think he's he's about to lose all credibility if he's done this, and now he's playing Set Blatter. Is <laughs> his career, which is actually happening, mm-hmm. and I and I and I found out that FIFA out of nineteen million pounds for the film, FIFA paid for sixteen million pound of it. Oh right, so Tim it's not Roth, at all oh, going to be yeah, a, he's, an arsehole job. He sold his soul. Yeah, that's yeah. not that's not good. There's no. there's just no chemistry between. Uh, Nicole Kidman and uh, Tim Roth at all. The thing, Nicole Kidman isn't awful, but she's not. I don't think she's really the best fit for Grace Kelly because I don't. Well, I think she's just too um, too world wise. You're meant to believe that Grace Kelly is this kind of naive young woman who married into royalty, and you don't really believe it because she she's just. I'm not, I'm not saying she's too old, but she, she's just kind of too worldly to, to be able to carry it off, in my opinion. Um, I think the only person who really comes out with it with much credit is uh, Frank Langella, who's quite good uh, as the priest, like, and, and she has good chemistry with him, but he's only on screen for about ten minutes, so it doesn't really doesn't really count for much. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just dull. Uh, it's also really factually inaccurate, and it basically makes out that Princess Grace of Monaco uh, managed to stop France invading Monaco because Monaco wouldn't give uh, wouldn't tax its residents, and that's not really the sort of thing I can care about too much. Is that some <laughs> rich rich playboy's principality isn't taxing people? Um, so yeah, and and it's just weird. And the entire film is kind of uh, ended by this really weird shot of Nicole Kidman giving the uh, speech at this charity ball, uh, and basically you are looking up her nose for about four minutes and it's just it's amazing <laughs> people were turning to each other in the cinema and saying what's wrong with her septum I don't under, I don't know um, yeah so it's just even if you like you might be tempted to see this because you've heard it's really really bad don't go and see it because of that it's because it's not it's just dull go, go and watch so Diana it, instead is it dull because it's a badly made film, or is it dull because she was a dull person and didn't have much go? Like, because Diana is actually quite an interesting person. She actually did quite a lot of things, whether it was her charity work or her, her private life. So it just sounds like, like that film was, was badly made, because not um, a lot of people liked it. So is it bad because it was badly made, or is it bad because she's a boring person? Well, I suppose... I don't, as I said, I, I had problem really caring about the story anyway. Um, you know, with the idea of France threatening to invade Monaco, I don't, I don't really care um, about that too much. Um, 
I, I think she probably wasn't a very boring person, but I think it probably picked the wrong part of her life um, because it picks up after she's had her kids. So she's actually been in the principality for a while. So I would have been more interested, I think, in the bit, you know, where her and Ranier are kind of seeing each other and, and she's first having to adjust to to the whole um, situation. But it, it, yeah, it, I think it's a, a missed opportunity, to be honest, because I think she is probably quite an interesting person. I just don't think this is the film to do it justice. Does it explore her relationship with Hitchcock at all? He does pop up, um, because that's actually where it starts, is where he gives her the script for Marnie, which is hmm. the film that she was going to be in and then ultimately kind of declined. Yeah. Um, so he he does pop up a little bit, and and again, like the chemistry between them two is quite good. But he's only in it for about ten minutes, again yeah. less probably less than that. Um, so yeah, it's, I think that could have done with a little bit of, of filling in as well, really. Hello, listeners. Unfortunately, um, or fortunately, depending on your views of me, this is the moment in which my audio uh, disappeared and is lost to the sands of time. Never to be quite discovered. Uh, I'm sure I had plenty of fantastic and insightful things to say about 22 Jump Street. However, um... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. That's gone now. So what you will listen to is a stitched-together version of what Owen and Carol had to say about the film. I'll just let you know, I did really enjoy it, just possibly not quite as much as the first film. Uh, Very funny. Joke's just as funny, just not quite as much heart. Didn't quite stick together enough for me. That said, it's still probably the best comedy I've seen since the Lego movie this year, also by uh, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. So, um, enjoy what is kind of left of this Frankenstein of a podcast. Okay, so now a review of 22 Jump Street, uh, the sequel to 21 Jump Street, funnily enough, starring Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum. Here is a clip. We're trying to see that product. You're sleepy. What's up, homie? You know my cousin, sad boy. You think you got the wrong guy, Holmes? Everyone said in the barrio, sleepy. He like the Mexican Wolverine. And my partner here, he want to see that product. When he talking? My name is Jeff. That's Hefe, man. And tell me that crazy adventure you guys had. Go into incredibly descriptive details of the story so we all know. Oh, yes. It was Dora and Diego and Swiper. Swiper? And who was that you choked out, man? Oh, he had a coming. Who was that? Boots. No, man. Start over from the top. That's a made-up name. You want to check out the goods? Go ahead. Where'd you find this gringo? The Mumford & Sons concert? <laughs> okay, so that was a clip of 22 Jump Street. Uh, seen by Carol, James, and did Owen, did you manage to see it? I did see it, yes. Okay, so seen by the three of you. Um, so did any of you, I know James definitely did, see 21 Jump Street? Yes. Yes. 
Yeah, and did you all enjoy 21 Jump Street? Yes, I was very pleasantly yeah. surprised. I only saw it last year on Netflix, just watched it on a whim, really. And because um, I'd heard it was it was pretty good, and yeah, I was really pleasantly surprised by it. It was very funny. Um, it, it was pretty good. Yeah, I enjoyed the first one. So, what do we think of the of the sequel? I I didn't check my watch once, and I must have checked it about eight times during Grace of Monaco, and that's only an hour and a half <laughs> long. I think the the first hour of Twenty Two Jump Street felt like an hour's worth of not very much to me. The second the second half was very funny. I I was in bits at some of it. I thought it was just hilarious. But the the, f- the first hour, aside from a few nice little, very knowing jokes that we've talked about, you know, a bit of self-deprecating humour to it as well, a little bit. Um, it kind of dragged a little bit for me. But then, like I said, the second second hour of the film was had some of the, the funniest stuff I've seen in in a film in a film all year. The girl who played the uh, roommate, I can't remember her name off the top of my head. She was so, so funny. Like, dead-eyed, uh, completely dead-eyed and deadpan. Fantastic. Well, from, from the trailer, it looked to me a little bit like um, Airplane 2. You know, have you all seen Airplane 2? Yeah. And you know, that's just, it's crap. It's the same jokes again, but worse. Um, and that's kind of what the trailer for 22 Jump Street said to me and I was kind of thinking this isn't going to be very good at all um, and even if it was still the same jokes that made me laugh it was I would have thought that would have just been pointless and I might as well have watched the first one again um, but actually it it was a bit more clever than that and I think as it, it, it perhaps does lack a little bit of cohesion with, with, with the jokes but it has very funny gags in there I think so uh, you know and what else can you really expect from from a comedy you know if it's going to make you laugh then well you know that's it's doing its job hasn't it really I saw a great uh, quote on Twitter but unfortunately I can't remember who it was so I can't attribute it to anyone that said that um, basically there was more uh, kind of laughs and invention in the end credits than there were in the last kind of ten years of Adam Sandler films which <laughs> The end, they were they were some spectacular credits. <laughs> okay, that's all for um, Twenty Two Jump Street, and almost all for this week's podcast. Just before we go, some recommendations for the week ahead. James, I'm going to start us off. Um, we're going to be gutted about this because while England are playing Italy uh, on Saturday night in their opening game of the 2014 World Cup, Schindler's List is also on the telly. <laughs> uh, but what I'm going to recommend. Is is a film that I've probably spoken about too many times on here, and one that we'll probably be mentioning next week in our World Cup special. But because it's before England play, and you need to get yourself into that mood, although you probably don't really. But anyway, just in case you need to get yourself into World Cup mood, into England supporting mode, Escape to Victory is on more four at quarter past one on Saturday. Okay, Owen. Um. Well, I'm being a little bit cheeky, I guess. I'm picking a DVD release. Um, it, it came out earlier this month, and I forgot to recommend it on last week's podcast. That's how good I am. It's Out of, yeah, Out of the Furnace um, by Scott Cooper, starring uh, Christian Bale, uh, Woody Harrelson, Casey Affleck. It's got quite a, ma- quite a big cast. I missed out on watching it at the cinema uh, in January. 
Uh, but I managed to pick up a preview copy on DVD a couple of months back, and I really enjoyed it. It's it's not got great reviews on IMDb, but just ignore them because they're rubbish anyway. It, it's it's a very brilliant, atmospheric um, film with a very good, strong story to it about um, two brothers. One of them's a returning soldier from the war, and Christian Bale then tries to find him after he goes off fighting people in the woods um but no it's 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 just a really good story um really drags you into it uh yeah i recommend it yeah i think it came out on the 2nd of june possibly um so there should still be places you can buy it from what are you recommending um well i think i'm going to have to go for a little film uh, that was on last week if you missed the 30th anniversary celebrations last week of it, yeah, it's totally it's <laughs> totally James fault. <laughs> uh, it's all I your fault, really. It's yeah. it's everyone's fault. Um, but if you did miss uh, the uh, lovely worldwide playback on Saturday night, which uh, thousands of people took part in, and also it was on TV the next day. But if you did miss Ghostbusters last week, it is on again um, on Saturday, Channel Five. Ten past one, so directly opposite Steve's recommendation. So you just have to kind of choose which one you want to watch. Really. <coughs> um, <laughs> it's well, it's it's my favourite film ever. I can't really say much more than that. Okay, uh, there we are, and that's all for this week's podcast. And um, so thank you all for listening and your continued support of the podcast and the website. Next week. Uh, we have got a World Cup special, which will be a look at football and film throughout the years, where hopefully Dave McFarlane from Born Offside will join us. Uh, I say hopefully. If any of you heard him talk before, you'll probably regret that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you can do it. Yeah, a translator on a podcast. We really could do a subtitle, so I don't know how that would work. Probably be twice as drunk as the rest of us, at least. But there we go. Um, but yes, we'll be looking at um, football and film together as the World Cup will have uh, kicked off as we record next week. Sorry, uh, in Black Adder character, and actually Bottom. Uh, Bottom was a huge influence for me as a, a young teenager. I remember um, for my birthday, I requested the the Bottom scripts, and I got them in a hardback book. And me and my mate Steve, <laughs> a different Steve, obviously, um, used to read that. To uh, we used to play Richie and Eddie alternately on the school bus on long journeys, um, and that, that that's where I actually wanted to act from. I acted for a little. I, I just love Rick Mel, and I'm genuinely gutted because he is such a talent and 56 is no bloody age whatsoever um so yeah he will be really really sadly missed i think yeah the utter 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 selfish bastard (laughs) he's died (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah it's just wow Uh, in a way i I, you know we all thought he probably died 16 years ago when he had that quad bike and came back Mm. and did some work and you know Depends which way you look at it, half full or half empty. Did he get an extra 16 years or has he still been cut horribly short at 56? But um, Yeah, I, I read something... The... Ab- Sorry, Owen. 
I was going to say I read something about him today, which was quite sort of inspiring in a way. You know, he said after he had that accident and he was in a coma for, was it four days, five days, mm. something like that? Yeah. Um, and then he came out of it and um, says, you know, from that point on, that's when he started to really be happy in life. So people, mm. when they get to sort of 50, they're kind of, you know, well, well they go through a, a sort of middle age crisis yeah. at that point nowadays. And he's... he's just continue. He said that he, he didn't have that because he was just happy to be alive after that wow. accident. He treated every day as like a little gift, and so I found that quite sort of inspiring. Yeah, um, and no, it is that, a, that's a, great. And, and he didn't really have much of a film. I know a film podcast, but um, I, I remember a summer when I was younger watching Drop Dead Fred uh, every single day for the entire summer holidays. Uh, and he also appeared in another favourite film when I was young, uh, Whoops Apocalypse, uh, which you know starred the cream of British comedy and Loretta Swit. A weird film, actually. I need to try and track that down. But yeah, Ed, um, and... The he was also cameoing in uh, American Werewolf in London. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. In The Slaughter um, of Lambing. But yeah, you know, like, like we said... We're... Oh, God, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, he's in the park, isn't he? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh, but yeah, we'll miss you, Rick. And that's it. That's our last obituary for ages because I'm sick of them now. Just stop dying, people. <laughs> Just good people, stop dying. Is you know, you, now you said that somebody like huge will die. Yeah, I'm just going to ignore it. Ignore it out of principle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so yes, that's all for part one. And um, in the next part, we've got what we've been watching. Okay, so time for what we've been watching now, where we look at what we watched last week or so. Um, I mean, why don't you start us off? Uh, yep, sure. Okay, um, I watched um, another Korean film, which I'm going to talk about, but I got sent a couple on DVD from Paul on Twitter at Pafster, P-A-F-S-T-E-R, who I've talked about a lot on here. He's sent me some crappy DVDs in the past, but occasionally he comes through and sends me some really good ones. Um, and so one of the Korean films that I, uh, he sent me, which I watched, which I was waiting to watch for a long time, I've been I've been trying to get hold of it, was never released in the UK. If you try and find a copy of it on DVD, it's just stupidly expensive. So, yeah, props to, to Paul for sending me this. It's called My Sassy Girl. And yes... James, it is a rom-com that I was quite interested in watching. Um, I know I've kind of bitched and moaned about them in the past, but um, it's just got rave reviews from absolutely everybody who's seen it. People who, um, not that I'm going to pigeonhole anybody, but people who you wouldn't expect to like rom-coms. People who usually like sort of sci-fi films or they like action films have all said they loved My Sassy Girl. Um, so yeah, it had a, a sort of Hefty re- reputation before I watched it. Um, basically, it's about a guy called Kyun Woo, who is played by an actor called Cha Tae Hyun, um, who's basically a hapless student uh, who accidentally kind of falls for this girl uh, who's played by Gianna June, actually, who also who James would probably recognise as the tall, pretty one from The Thieves, um, the ensemble right, yes, high yeah. school. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so she's a bit feisty uh, or... I suppose sassy would probably be more descript. Um, but Kim Woo meets a girl for the first time in a subway station where she's blind drunk. Um, kind of rescues her from the edge of a, a, a platform as a train's coming in. Um, but, you know, she's got little awareness about what's going on. And then over the course of this journey home on the train, uh, it, she sort of shows a bit of her personality. She show, uh, tells off this youth uh, for not giving up his seat to an old passenger. 
um, who then she sort of promptly throws up all over and then passes out. And then it's kind of up to this Kyun Woo guy uh, who rather reluctantly bears the brunt of what she's done. He, he looks after her a bit, he carries her to a hotel, and then he ends up getting accused of being a bit of a deviant. Um, it sounds kind of dark and heavy, but it isn't. I mean, it is, it's very playful. All of it is very playful. And kind of like the, the, the rest of the movie, it's actually it's quite a funny and sweet scene. Um, no, it doesn't sound like it, but it is. And it's really just the, the whole atmosphere for the rest of the film is, is kind of like that. Um, it is a little bit, uh, weirdly, a little bit violent as well, because she keeps beating him up, but it's kind of, like, played like a joke, um, and it is a joke, I mean, the way that she does it is very playfully, and he just kind of goes along with it, and he sees himself as trying to support her, but he's actually kind of falling for her a little bit, and then they kind of become friends, and then they kind of become boyfriend and girlfriend, and there's lots of kinds of different relationships, and it's quite, it's, I, I liked it, um, I'm not quite sure I loved it as much as other people seem to have described it. Uh, you know, people who've said it's like their favourite film and stuff. It's not It's not one of my favourite films. It's not one of my favourite Korean films. But what it is, is a very, uh, just a very sweet, a very um, chilled out kind of laid back comedy that is full of lots of funny scenes in it. Um, the romance in it is, it's handled quite sensitively. You get a bit of backstory to all the characters, so there's there's a bit of depth to them. They're not just these um, props in, in an otherwise generic story. It, there's actually something to it. Um, so yeah, I was I was pleasantly surprised by the fact I did enjoy it when I wasn't quite sure because it's um because it's a rom com, and I know that hey that makes me sane, but yeah, I did kind of prejudge it despite its reputation. Um, but it isn't quite at the level. I think it was supposed to be. That's kind of how my my lasting impression is of of my sassy girl. But it's worth a watch. I mean, if you if you want to get an in, introduction to sort of comedy or romance films in Korean in from Korean cinema, then there's no better place to start. Really, it's, uh, it, it's uh, very by funny. the sound of it, I reckon I'd love that. Just how yeah. you've described. It. Also, and I I think um your phrase. I didn't like it as much as some people. It has become your new catchphrase recently. I've, I've noticed I noticed that. Lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You do, you're just becoming more cynical and disappointed in your older age. I honestly, I don't know because the films that I've really like been expecting to like this year, things like, um, Winter Soldier, for example. Yeah. I thought that was going to be just the best Marvel film since the Avengers and I thought it's going to be absolutely brilliant. Perhaps one of the best blockbusters of the year. And then afterwards I sort of saw a lot of people saying it was. And I kind of felt, well, I didn't really enjoy it all that much, actually. I mean, I liked it. It was good. It was one of, it was a good blockbuster, but I didn't like it as much as other people seem to have. And, you know, it happened, like you say, a few times to me this year, which is a shame. I've been let down by a few films that have still been quite decent. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a shame. And I am perhaps a bit of a miserable cynic anyway. Um, <laughs> but I did, it's a rom-com that I did like. So yeah, perhaps not no, that no, that's it. Thing. Yeah, it sounds like you quite liked it, but uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I, I think I'll, I'll give that a go if I can. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got got it on DVD, so we can sort something out. I'm sure. Okay. Maybe if I ever win a quiz again, it can be a film I send out to you. There we go. And Steve and Carol. Okay, um, James, what have you seen this week? Uh, today, well, not today. Actually, it was uh, yesterday. I finally got hold of one of the films from my summer preview when we picked our our three films that we were kind of preview previewing this summer uh my pick for my ho- most hopeful 
brilliant, underrated film was Frank, the Lenny Abramson film based, kind of loosely inspired by the life and times of bizarre papier-mâché headman Frank Sidebottom. <laughs> uh, and I finally got to see it yesterday. And I'm just going to say it out right away. No uh, no beat around the bush. One of my favourite films of the year so far. I'm, I was right. I'm so glad I picked it. I absolutely loved it. Um, just to give you a brief idea, it's not strictly speaking, based on the life of Frank Sidebottom. It is inspired. Uh, it's written by John Ronson, who who is a very well-known author um, at the moment. He wrote The Psychopath Test recently. He also wrote The Men Who Stare at Goats, which was turned into a film starring George Clooney. Um, and this is based on his kind of real-life experiences of being invited to join Frank Sidebottom's band in the 80s. Um, he was working at a student union and uh, Frank Sidebottom and his band were due to play there one day and the keyboardist was ill and they said we're going to have to pull out and John Ron said I can play keyboards and apparently said can you play C, A and F and he went yep <laughs> and they went right okay turn up at the stage door just before we start and he said it was the greatest night of his life because he got to go on like with an actual band and then a year later they got in touch with him again and he ended up joining Frank Sidebottom's band full time. Now, what comes across from this film is um, actually the idea. And I was really disappointed because when someone said there's going to be a Frank Sidebottom film starring Michael Fassbender um, as Frank Sidebottom, I, I just thought that's the most amazing and bizarre thing ever. And then this kind of things came out saying, oh, he's actually uh, Frank is going to be an American uh, and it's not going to be the actual Frank side bottom. And I started to get a bit disappointed. But having seen this film, I totally see why they've done it this way because one of the big themes of the film is the fact that someone like Frank Sidebottom is, is a complete one-off. Um, a lot of the film is about this young man called John who's played by Dom Hall Gleeson, who I am rapidly falling in love with. Um, he he he! I loved him in about time. He's this kind of sharp, angular Hugh Grant figure, um, and his self-deprecating kind of persona works so well in this. He plays a young man who's a songwriter called John, and the film opens up on this lovely little sequence of um, John, played by Gleason, in this kind of provincial seaside town, wandering around trying to write songs, and it's just this brilliant, almost ten-minute short film in its on its own of him wandering around looking for inspiration for songs. And it's just a lovely, lovely um, piece of cinema on its own uh, before you even meet Frank, which was really beautifully played by Gleason. But what happens is, yeah, he meets up uh, with Frank's band, who are, I'm not even going to try and pronounce it, that's part of the whole thing. It's a very, they're a very hipster band and you can't pronounce their name. I've seen <laughs> too many bands like that in rubbish tents at festivals and, and that kind of struck home and a lot of it struck home in that sense if you've ever hung around people who play in these kind of art rock bands who aren't about the fans they're actually just about creating their own music and they don't really care if anyone likes it actually what i would say is um this film really reminds me of a cross between leningrad cowboys and the jazz and super hands making music in peep show sections that's that's exactly what it is because what happens is the band get together so you've got um john played by donald gleason you've got um maggie gyllenhaal playing clara who is this yoko ono-esque um female 
Well, to be honest, she's just a crazy bitch in this film, and she does that brilliantly in the same way that she did in Away We Go recently as well. And these kind of roles seem to be becoming her own at the moment. And a couple of other people, uh, a manager uh, played by Scoot McNary, and Frank, who I, I cannot believe I'm saying this, but Michael Fassbender's performance inside of a papier-mâché head is utterly incredible. I, I have never noticed how much of a brilliant physical actor... Uh, that Fassbender is for the vast majority of this film he spends you, you just don't see his face at all he uh, reminds me a little bit of Hugo Weaving in V for Vendetta actually uh, in, mm. in a weird way uh, in that everything he does is about his posture it's about his voice but it's about his posture it's about the way he reacts to people physically and there are some wonderful scenes um, a scene kind of two thirds of the way through when they're on stage and you've got this big papier-mâché head with a massive smile plastered on it. But just from his movements and actions, you can tell that there's a man inside having a really depressing nervous breakdown. Uh, I, it's really difficult to describe without you having seen it. Um, but, yeah, it, it's an utterly incredible performance from Fassbender. And Fassbender and Gleason have a bit of a double act throughout this film. It's um, It's a meditation on creativity on um you know standing by your principles it's funny it's very poignant and i i i cannot recommend it highly enough i really really enjoyed it and it's it's actually inspired me in a weird way to go and find out more about the real frank sidebottom because i found out nothing about the real frank sidebottom from this film but that was fine because it actually i've now downloaded on um Deezer, uh, so free streaming, lovely. Um, a couple of Frank Sidebottom albums, and been reading the true story. Um, there's a lovely ebook for 99p that John Ronson's wrote called "The Truth Behind Frank Sidebottom," which is which is about his real story, including one of my favourite things that I've read so far about the fact when Frank Sidebottom in the early 90s got a chance to like make it big, and this just sums up Frank um, got a chance to make it big by supporting Bros at Wembley Arena. Um, <laughs> And instead, and what he did, he strode on stage, and instead of like playing the best gig of their career, just played 15 minutes of terrible Bross covers, and then walked <laughs> off stage. Uh, looked, at the man, Bross's manager was just like in steaming at the side of the stage, apparently, and walked over and immediately just walked up to him and said he was putting on a gig at Timpley Village Hall. Did he have any tips? And then walked off again. <laughs> it's like, that is a man who just didn't. He kind of wanted to be famous, but he was doing it on his own terms. And there's a lovely description that John Ronson said about um, most people adapt to the world they're in, but very few people try and adapt the world to them. And Frank is one of those people, both the character, the fictional character of Frank in this film and Frank's like bottom. So in that way, actually, it's the perfect tribute to uh, uh, Mike Seavey, the man who created Frank's like bottom catch it if you can anywhere it's a utterly beguiling film i really really enjoyed it and it's everything i hoped it would be okay um well i am going to talk about a television program that finished about four years ago now um, on the post i started watch i've started watching it again recently it's lost uh, ran for six years uh, somebody asked me to recommend them a tv pro and they've seen all the usual kind of things and they hadn't seen you know, looking for new to watch. So I suggested to them Lost because I kind of wanted to annoy them a bit of how badly it ends. <laughs> um, but then, I, but then I watched most of the first season with them and kind of got back into it myself. I've heard a few people say that if you watch it 
in kind of quick succession, uh, like as a box set, rather than watch it spread over six years, the ending isn't so bad, and it's not as big a kick in the balls to the to the viewer. Um, but you know, I'm getting towards the end of season two, and because of how it ended, you just forget kind of how good it was at its best. I mean, it's never, it's not, it's not on the same level as something like The Sopranos or The Wire. It's not going to be one of the best TV programs ever. Some of the first two seasons are just phenomenal kind of storytelling and plot weaving, where you know it's so kind of intricate, and at that point you really don't think they're making it up as they go along. Everything makes sense. Everything ties in perfectly. Um, the characters. On the most part, there's a couple of characters that really irritate me, but on the most part, the characters are good, the characters are interesting. You see more about their life before they crash land on the island and flashbacks, which is a really clever way of doing it. It's something I've not seen before kind of done in that way. I mean, I think, obviously, you see flashbacks in films and TV programs, but not done in, in such a way that Lost done it with kind of every character and a different person centred around each week and kind of also introducing all the characters kind of intertwined before they actually met on the island. Um, so it's a really clever way of storytelling, really enthralling and engaging. And then it just gets stupider and stupider from about the end, from the, the, from the fourth season onwards. They just introduce too many silly things like time travel and magic. And you just think, you've taken this too far. And I don't think they made it up as they went along. But you get that impression because how stupid it gets. I, I've, I've really never seen liked Lost. the ending. Oh, no, sorry, James. No, I'm. I, I think I, I'm. I that's. I went on honeymoon the the week it started, and I was all set to tape it. And my Sky Plus box didn't work, and so it didn't tape it. And I feel like I had a massive escape, but <laughs> I, I kind of because people I, people told me even people who enjoyed it said it 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 destroyed them in the way that it. At one point, about halfway through, they felt like they they hated watching it, but they had to keep going because they had to find out what happened. Is that essentially? Yeah. Essentially, yeah. yeah. The the first three seasons are brilliant. Yeah. The fourth season is okay. The last two seasons are just poor. But you've committed four years to exactly. It. And yeah. It's not kind of like Dexter, where I watched four seasons of Dexter and it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I really lost interest quickly because it, it went downhill. Exactly the same. As you me. know, it's and like it just was, stopped. because of yeah. Yeah, because of kind of the plot of Lost, you really needed to see what happened to the end, especially when it had been so good for so long. Mm. And then there was maybe half a dozen episodes that were good out of the last two seasons, and you just felt really disappointed. Yeah, and and the ending was just. Ugh. I like the ending. I don't. I don't Wait, get why people hate it. I did not like the purgatory bit of the ending. Just didn't need well. to be there. Just, yeah. just leave it try, out. Try not to sort of give anything away. I know it's an old program now, but yeah, I thought that it ended in pretty much the only way it was ever going to end, from the first few episodes. Well, maybe not the first few episodes. Maybe the first season, the end of the first season. There was only one way it was going to end, really. And I think they did it in as good a way as could be expected. But also ignoring the fact that it was inevitable, it was quite a good ending. I liked but it. it. Got, but it just got a bit too silly, didn't it, the last couple of seasons? Yeah, oh, definitely. To too many too many different things that made it just ridiculous. Yeah. 
And if they kind of kept it a bit more level, a bit more, you can't really say down to earth or normal <laughs> because it's not that kind of thing. No. It's a science fiction <laughs> program at the end of the day. They just threw in too many kind of wild ideas and plot devices and it just made you think. Yeah. yeah. It got a bit Deus Ex Machina. Sorry? Yeah. Was, it, just, it just got a bit Deus Ex Machina, didn't it? Everything was just kind of the way certain plot devices were 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 used to resolve problems was just a bit well it's a little yeah. bit hand of god there isn't it yeah but, it, but i mean yeah. I, there is talk of it coming back as well i read um, an interview with one of the it wasn't jj abrams it was one of the other ones either carlton Cuse or damon lindelof i can't remember which one who said that even though they won't be involved with it they're pretty sure it will come back at some point um, which if you kind of saw the, the little kind of basically YouTube clip of a couple of characters which was set a little bit after the finale of the last season, it actually sounds quite interesting for me and part of me wants it to happen and I'm just kind of a glutton for punishment. That's, <laughs> that's, become, the, that's become a bit of a trend, hasn't it? Because obviously 24 got raised from the dead a few years afterwards because yeah. TV executives yeah. realised that, again, just like the movie world, people love reboots and people love yeah. people love what they know. And I, I'm actually, just saying, I'm quite enjoying the 24, uh, uh, the new series of 24. I'm quite enjoying it as a big 24 fan, but... Isn't uh, Heroes due to come back as well? Heroes is also say, due to come back, yeah. If for Heroes one can of these... get re- redone, I'm sure that Lost can. Yeah. 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 I, 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 I'm certain it will happen. Um, yeah. Uh, and maybe I'll, maybe I'll get around to watching it at some point. But considering I've still not even watched um, Breaking Bad or The Wire, I think it is a bit, little bit low down my list of priorities. Mm. I have okay. no intention of ever rewatching it. I can't believe Steve would sit through the whole thing again. I think watching it once was enough. I liked the ending. I liked the start, but imagining sitting through like the twenty odd episodes of season four and season five again. Just no. Why? Why would you? Steve? I'll, let, I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, and Carol, what have you been watching? Um, well. Uh, I went to see Grace of Monaco over the weekend, which I'm going to discuss later. Uh, the one thing that everyone was asking me was, uh, is it worse than Diana? And I said, well, I don't know, because I haven't watched Diana. So this evening, I have watched Diana. Can't believe you chose to watch Diana. But I, 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 at least you didn't pay money in the cinema like I did. But you Well, know, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have done that for Grace of Monaco <laughs> either, to be perfectly honest. Uh, it, oh, God. Okay, so I'm, I'm sure that everyone knows the story. It's about this, uh, like, little-known person. Uh, some people probably <laughs> won't even remember her, to be honest. Um, but it's, it is actually... It, it's an interesting premise, I guess, because it con- it concentrates on the relationship she had, if, if you find this sort of stuff interesting. Um, it, con- it concentrates on the relationship she had with uh, a heart surgeon, like, during and after her divorce. And before she got involved with uh, Dodie Al Fired and then obviously died. Um, and oh my god, it's just, it's, it's amazing. It's everything that Grace of Monaco <laughs> wants to be. It's just like, they're, oh god, I can't believe that anyone actually agreed to get involved in it. And there are quite a few kind of famous, obviously, as Naomi Watts. Yeah. And I think the guy, I think the guy who plays a heart surgeon is actually from Lost as well, I remember reading. Oh, um, right. I, I think it's Levine the... Andrew. I think it's Levine Andrews who played Saeed in Lost. He, in Diana, he's really soap opera acting. It's it's incredible. Everyone it's, is. It, well, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's it's like Days of Our Lives at moments. It, it's 
incredible. It did. It did remind me of that. Really, I think it may have actually been days of. Was, what was that one on Friends where Joey was in it? Yes, it was like a yeah, daytime with the thing. Kind of smell the fart acting and stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was. It was so much like that. It's just. It's. It's execrable. It's absolutely dreadful. And yeah, the, there are certain like there are certain moments in the script where I. I am actually sure that if I had gone see it in the cinema, I probably would have been removed for laughing inappropriately. <laughs> I. I was creasing up in the comfort of my own living room thankfully but um it's it is amazing but not in a good way uh if, you, if you're a real glutton for punishment i do like a, a good bad film and it is one of those ones that is so bad it's properly bad isn't it, it's it yeah really it's bad. not boring in a sense that it's just like oh this is a bit dark that is terrible it's yeah. horrible there there's brilliant in that sense dialogue the the bit where they're talking about football uh and <laughs> and he says oh you don't cut through liverpool that way <laughs> it's just the worst bit of dialogue ever and um yeah no and the, it's from the director of downfall this is what i do not get what well, you know this is the guy who directed downfall and this is what he chose as it's... one of his next projects it's it's amazing. Yeah. Um, I, I think the bit that actually got me, I was howling with laughter at the end, was actually the bit, this is this is awful, I'm, I can't believe I'm about to say this, the bit at the end where she dies and everyone starts waking up and phoning each other at 20 past four in the morning. Yeah, it's like, no, that's <laughs> utter bollocks. <laughs> that's not what happened. We were kind of found you, out about 11 o'clock. Wake, yeah, how would you kind of wake up instinctively as it happened and phone people? Exactly. I, we yeah. didn't even have 24-hour news really back then. There was a bit... Uh, hardly anyone had like news channels um it, it and actually if i remember correctly we didn't actually know she was dead until the morning because there yes. was a good few hours where they were trying to claim that she was still alive and people were obviously going oh yeah whatever but the official word didn't come out until kind of early morning not middle of the night i remember, and yeah, going I remember to bed and entire... she was like walking wounded exactly basically but yeah that scene where basically london wakes up with lights <laughs> going off and phones ringing and i was just like my god that is just such a rewrite that i don't know if he's done that because it looks poetic oh, it's just horrible horrible i lost horrible it at stuff. that point yeah. i lost it. it it is amazing and I, i'm afraid that if i ever do win a quiz and get to choose something for everyone else to watch it is going to be that <laughs> that's two of us now loading that one. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> I was probably annoyed because every channel was running with coverage of her death and it probably meant Football Italia was cancelled. I can imagine, yeah, I can imagine something like that. I do remember, I, I still remember, because TFI Friday was on and there was a Diana Memorial special of TFI Friday, which oh was just, God. like, no one seemed to know what to do. It was a bizarre time anyway. But this film makes it seem even more just ludicrous. Um yeah, yeah, it doesn't really need eulogising in that way, no. I don't think. But, um, uh, yeah, a, a, a proper stinker. We're still waiting for the uh, Mohammed Al-Fayed cut, aren't we? <laughs> which <laughs> will be, be more like 24, which would be fantastic. That would, that would be worth watching. <laughs> that was the other thing as well, mental. actually, is it, it is really kind of unevenly paced as well, because, like, literally, Dodie Al-Fayed turns up in the last five minutes. Yeah. And I'm, I don't... I think they were probably together a bit longer than that. I don't think she would have just gone away like on a whim well, if, all the time. I don't if know. Al- if allegedly, actually, you don't need to say allegedly, do you? She can't sue. You can she le- can't sue. She's no. dead. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> but let's let's yeah, let's at least be yeah. a bit tasteful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll leave it yeah. there. You can't slander the dead. <laughs> if you want to know what I was going to say, please tweet me directly, <laughs> and I'll tell you. And he'll put it in writing. That's just yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yes, yeah. and then the royals could have me secretly killed off. <laughs> was it that Princess Di was a lizard? Was that what you were going to say? No. Secretly a lizard. Much, much worse. <laughs> yeah, let's stop it there. <laughs> anyway, that's all for part, uh, part two. And up next is our new release reviews of Princess Grace Monaco and 22 Jump Street. So, time for new release reviews now. First up, Carol is the only one of us lucky enough to have gone to see um, Princess Grace of Monaco. Whatever it's called. Is it called Grace? Or Grace of Monaco. Grace? Grace of Monaco. Grace of Monaco. Or GOM, there as I've go. written in my notes for short. <laughs> GOM. GOM. Um, yeah, so the, the second... In, well, actually, I say I was going to say an Unholy Trinity. Is there another film about a princess that died in a car accident that I don't know about? Because if um, there is, can anyone let me know, and that will make it an unholy trinity. Wow, what can... a night out of the Prince Charles <laughs> cinema that would be. The Prince Charles <laughs> lining it up as we speak. Probably an asylum version of uh, Roman Holiday knocking about somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, Greater Monaco. Um, a highly fictionalised account of uh, Princess Grace's... Well, it's not actually her life, it's like a short period of her life in between her marrying uh, Prince Rainier of Monaco and uh, dying, although you don't actually see her dying. I think it's only set within about two weeks or something. Um, but, yeah, she's obviously a very famous kind of Hollywood actress and then married into royalty, and it's all about the change, change in her life, etc., etc. Um, th- this isn't bad on Diana's scale of bad. I was looking forward to it being that bad. Because I'd read some truly horrifying reviews, some like proper eviscerations of, of, of the film. Uh, I think Peter Bradshaw did a, a marvellous one. Your nemesis, James. Yes. Peter Bradshaw <laughs> did. You have to admit, he's good at giving reviews to bad films. Oh, he did yeah, a, definitely. He did that's what got me quite excited, yeah. Yeah. But it, that's the part. It's not, it's not that interesting. It's not interesting enough for a one star. It's just dull, and it doesn't really know what tone it's going for. Um, the guy, I, I think there have been some problems with the cut with this. I remember hearing a while ago that Harvey Weinstein was having a bit of a problem with the director because they wanted a different cut, uh, and, and the director was holding out saying he didn't want to cut it differently. Um, and I think you can probably, I don't know who won, but I think it was probably Weinstein going by the last film I saw of his, which was the Grand Master, where he did the same thing, and as a result it was all over the place and a total mess. Uh, this is pretty much the same. It's yeah, it's just it's just boring. It doesn't really know what it wants to do. Tonally, it's all over the place. Um, the acting's not brilliant, but it's it's not awful. Even Tim Roth isn't that good, and I like Tim Roth. I'm a bit, I'm a, bit of a fan of Tim Roth. I think... He's, he's about to lose all credibility. If he's done this... And now he's playing Set Blatter. His <laughs> his career, which is actually happening, mm-hmm. and I and I and I found out that FIFA, out of nineteen million pounds for the film, FIFA pays for sixteen million pound of it. Oh right, so Tim it's not Roth, at all oh, going to be yeah, uh, he's, an he's sold, job. He sold his soul. Yeah, that's yeah. not that's not good. There's no. there's just no chemistry between uh, Nicole Kidman and uh, Tim Roth at all. The thing, Nicole Kidman isn't awful but she's not I don't think she's really the best fit for Grace Kelly because I don't well I think she's just too um too world wise you're meant to believe that Grace Kelly is this kind of naive young woman who married into royalty and you don't really believe it 
because she she's just I'm not, I'm not saying she's too old, but she she's just kind of too worldly to to be able to carry it off, in my opinion. Um, I think the only person who really comes out with it with much credit is uh, Frank Langella, who's quite good uh, as the priest, like, and, and she has good chemistry with him. But he's only on screen for about ten minutes, so it doesn't really doesn't really count for much. Um, yeah, it's just it's just dull. Uh, it's also really factually inaccurate, and it basically makes out that Princess Grace of Monaco uh, managed to stop France invading Monaco because Monaco wouldn't give uh, wouldn't tax its residents. And that's not really the sort of thing I can care about too much. Is that some rich <laughs> rich playboy's principality isn't taxing people? Um, so, yeah, and and it's just weird. And the entire film is kind of uh, ended by this really weird shot of Nicole Kidman giving the uh, speech at this charity ball, uh, and basically you are looking up her nose for about four minutes. <laughs> and it's just, it's amazing. <laughs> People were turning to each other in the cinema and saying, what's wrong with her septum? I don't understand what's going on. Um, yeah, so it's just, even if you like, you might be tempted to see this because you've heard it's really, really bad. Don't go and see it because of that. It's because it's not, it's just dull. Go, go and watch so Diana it, instead. Is it dull because it's a badly made film or is it dull because she was a dull person and didn't have much go? Like, because Diana is actually quite an interesting person. She actually did quite a lot of things, whether it was her charity work or her, her private life. So it just sounds like that film was, was badly made because not um, a lot of people liked it. So is it bad because it was badly made or is it bad because she's a boring person? Well, I suppose, I don't, as I said, I, I had problem really caring about the story anyway, um, you know, with the idea of France threatening to invade Monaco. I don't, I don't really care um, about that too much. Um, I, I think she probably wasn't a very boring person, but I think it probably picked the wrong part of her life um, because it picks up after she's had her kids. So she's actually been in the principality for a while. So I would have been more interested, I think, in the bit you know where her and Ranier are kind of seeing each other and, and she's first having to adjust to to the whole um, situation. But it, it, yeah, it, I think it's a, a missed opportunity, to be honest, because I think she is probably quite an interesting person. I just don't think this is the film to do it justice. Does it explore her relationship with Hitchcock at all? He does pop up, um, because that's actually where it starts, is where he gives her the script for Marnie, which is hmm. the film that she was going to be in, and then ultimately kind of declined. Yeah. Um, so he he does pop up a little bit. And, and again, like the chemistry between them two is quite good, but he's only in it for about ten minutes. Again, yeah. less probably less than that. Um, so, yes, yeah, I think that could have done with a little bit of, of filling in as well, really. Hello, listeners. Unfortunately, um, or fortunately, depending on your views of me, this is the moment in which my audio uh, disappeared and is lost to the sands of time, never to be quite discovered. Uh, I'm sure I had plenty of fantastic and insightful things to say about 22 Jump Street. However, um, that's gone now. So what you will listen to is a stitched together version of what Owen and Carol had to say about the film. I'll just let you know, I did really enjoy it, just possibly not quite as much as the first film. Um, very funny. Joke's just as funny, just not quite as much heart. Didn't quite stick together enough for me. That said, it's still probably the best comedy I've seen since the Lego movie this year, also by uh, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. So um, enjoy what is kind of left of this Frankenstein of a podcast.
Okay, so now a review of 22 Jump Street, uh, the sequel to 21 Jump Street, funnily enough, starring Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum. Here is a clip. We're trying to see that product. You're sleepy. What's up, homie? You know my cousin, Sad Boy. I think you got the wrong guy, Holmes. Everyone saying the body or sleepy. He like the Mexican Wolverine. And my partner here, he want to see that product. When he talking? My name is Jeff. That's Hefe, man. And tell me that crazy adventure you guys had. Go into incredibly descriptive details of the story so we all know. Oh, yes. It was Dora and Diego and Swiper. Swiper? And who was that you choked out, man? Oh, he had a coming. Who was that? Boots. No, man. Start over from the top. That's a made-up name. You want to check out the goods? Go ahead. Where'd you find this gringo? The Mumford & Sons concert? <laughs> okay, so that was a clip of 22 Jump Street. Uh, seen by Carol... James and did Owen did you manage to see it? I did see it, yes. Okay, so seen by the three of you. Um so did any of you, I know James definitely did, see twenty one jump street? Yes. Yes. Yeah, and did you all enjoy twenty one jump street? Yes. I was very pleasantly yeah. surprised. I only saw it last year on Netflix because I watched it on a whim really. And because um, 'cause I'd heard it was it was pretty good and yeah, I was really pleasantly surprised by it. It was very funny. Um it was pretty good, yeah. I enjoyed the first one. So, what do we think of the of the sequel? I, I didn't check my watch once, and I must have checked it about eight times during Grace of Monaco, and that's only an hour and a half <laughs> long. I think the the first hour of Twenty Two Jump Street felt like an hour's worth of not very much to me. The second the second half was very funny. I I was in bits at some of it. I thought it was just hilarious. But the the, the first hour, aside from a few nice little very knowing jokes that we've talked about, you know, a bit of self-deprecating humour to it as well a little bit. Um, it kind of dragged a little bit for me. But then, like I said, the second second hour of the film was had some of the, the funniest stuff I've seen in, in, a film, in a film all year. The girl who played the uh, roommate, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, she was so, so funny. Like, dead-eyed, oh. completely dead-eyed and deadpan. Fantastic. Well, from, from the trailer, it looked to me a little bit like um, Airplane 2. You know, have you all seen Airplane 2? Yeah. And you know, that's just... It's crap. It's the same jokes again, but worse. Um, and that's kind of what the trailer for 22 Jump Street said to me. And I was kind of thinking, this isn't going to be very good at all. Um... And even if it was still the same jokes that made me laugh, it was I would have thought that would have just been pointless and I might as well have watched the first one again. Um, but actually, it it was a bit more clever than that. And I think as it, it, it perhaps does lack a little bit of cohesion with, with, with the jokes, but it has very funny gags in there, I think. So, uh, you know, and what else can you really expect from, from a comedy? You know, if it's going to make you laugh, then, well, you know, that's it's doing its job, hasn't it, really? I saw a great uh, quote on Twitter, but unfortunately I can't remember who it was, so I can't attribute it to anyone, that said that um, basically there was more uh, kind of laughs and invention in the end credits than there were in the last kind of ten years of Adam Sandler films, which 
<laughs> the end, they were they were some spectacular credits. <laughs> okay, that's all for um, Twenty Two Jump Street, and almost all for this week's podcast. Just before we go, some recommendations for the week ahead. James, I'm going to start us off. Um, I'm going to be gutted about this because while England are playing Italy uh, on Saturday night in their opening game of the 2014 World Cup, Schindler's List is also on the telly. <laughs> uh, but what I'm going to recommend is is a film that I've probably spoken about too many times on here and one that we'll probably be mentioning next week in our World Cup special. But because it's before England play and you need to get yourself into that mood, although you probably don't really, but anyway, just in case you need to get yourself into World Cup mood, into England supporting mode, Escape to Victory is on more four at quarter past one on Saturday. Okay, Owen? Um, well, I'm being a little bit cheeky, I guess. I'm picking a DVD release. Um, it, it came out earlier this month, and I forgot to recommend it on last week's podcast. That's how good I am. It's Out of, <laughs> yeah, out of the Furnace um, by Scott Cooper, starring... Uh, Christian Bale, uh, Woody Harrelson, Casey Affleck. It's got quite a, ma- a quite a big cast. I missed out on watching it at the cinema uh, in January, uh, but I managed to pick up a preview copy on DVD a couple months back, and I really enjoyed it. It's it's not got great reviews on IMDb, but just ignore them because they're rubbish anyway. It, it's it's a very brilliant atmospheric. Um, film with a very good strong story to it about um two brothers one of them's a returning soldier from the war and christian bale then tries to find him after he goes off fighting people in the woods um but no it's 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 just a really good story um really drags you into it uh yeah i recommend it i think it came out on the 2nd of june possibly um so there should still be places you can buy it from what are you recommending um, well, I think I'm going to have to go for a little film uh, that was on last week. If you missed the 30th anniversary celebrations last week of... It, yeah, it's, to- it's <laughs> totally James' fault. <laughs> uh, it's all I'm your fault, post-its. really. It's, yeah. it's everyone's fault. Um, but if you did miss uh, the uh, lovely worldwide playback on Saturday night, which... Uh, thousands of people took part in and also it was on TV the next day but if you did miss Ghostbusters last week it is on again um, on Saturday 10 on 5 10 past 1 so directly opposite Steve's recommendation so you just have to kind of choose which one you want to watch really. <coughs> um, <laughs> it's well it's it's my favourite film ever I can't really say much more than that ok uh, there we are and that's all for this week's podcast and um, so thank you all for listening and your continued support of the podcast on the website. Next week, uh, we have got a World Cup special, which will be a look at football and film throughout the years, where hopefully Dave McFarlane from Born Offside will join us. Uh, I say hopefully. If any of you heard him talk before, you'll probably regret that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you can do it. Yeah, a translator on a podcast. We really could do a subtitles. But I don't know how that would work. Probably be twice as drunk as the rest of us, at least. But there we go. Um, but yes, we'll be looking at um, football and film together as the World Cup will have uh, kicked off as we record next week. 